Hello everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we take subjects and try and create some order from the disorder, ramble, tangent, come back to the order, mix max out, just make a puzzle out of it, throw the puzzle out, put it through a shadow, then try and put it back together again. And, you know, be entertaining along the way. Uh, you can follow us at Twitter at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, and you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. As if you're listening to this, you would have found it. But if you want to recommend it to someone else, you can tell them we're on everything. Far and wide, all your distribution channels. If you can give us a rating on the platforms, because some don't, some don't allow it. Uh, it would help us out greatly. Uh, be seen to more of the masses. Maybe get us some sponsorships. Maybe uh, like before, back in the day, we could have a smooth, smooth balls sponsorship deal <laughs> came our way um my name is Mitchell Gatting, one of your hosts i'm joined as per usual by tom jenks how are you tom oh i'm not too bad not too bad had to really try hard not to go australian then yeah uh, yeah how are you mate i'm doing all right i'm doing all right and on this episode we are continuing our conversation about evolution yeah we didn't really uh didn't get far last time, did we? A bit of a pick a mix, really, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> See, it was a bit of a pick a mix. Yeah. A very English joke. Like, um, you're putting your hand in the bag, and you know it's going to be kind of, you know what you've picked, but you don't know what oh, yeah, piece of information you you're getting Yeah. when so, uh, you pull it back out, you know? When I used to get the pick a mix, and you used to go, and there was like the bank of sweets, did you not like build it up? Like, you didn't put it randomly. Like, if you had one of the... Tu- oh, I'm thinking of, like, the not the tubs, but, you know, you used to get, like... During McDonald's, you get, like, the drinks cup. Yeah. It would be like that, not the bag. Right, okay. So you could build up in oh, where, like... layer that. Like, yeah, the foundation, you get the cola bottles, because they're quite squidgy, and they were good, like, weight-to-money ratio, that kind of stuff. Oh, mate, I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was thinking... Where are my sugary laces things? Where are my jazzies? Where are yeah. my chocolate jazzies? Yeah. Where are my fizzy, fizzy cher- cherry cola bottles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, big ones. They're good. And I just put everything in one. I, I, there wasn't really an order. It was like, oh, do I still have space? Okay, I'm going to go back and get an equal amount of each. See, I disagree with that purely because I don't want like my laces to be chock full of like loose sugar i want them to be in like lace forming clean there's gotta be there's gotta be like breaks like fire breaks of different sweets between the layers all right yes okay so i guess depending how neurotic you were about your pick and x Um, ordering then uh it turns out apparently quite That it turns out that uh, my analogy was either very good for you or not good for you at all. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I say like bingo balls. Like, you know, there's the as one to 90 there, but you no idea what number's coming out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like, two fat ladies, 88. Yes, we're talking about Digimon. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Um, I, if anyone didn't enjoy the Digimon talk, uh, I haven't done any research on that. So, you know... <laughs> Further research for the Digimon. Yeah, I decided, you know what, it's not... I'm just going to stick to what I had and didn't cover. 
because that is evolution based. I've got I've come with a a fact that's new. Oh, you've actually brought facts. Uh, it's less yeah. of a fact, more of an interesting take on evolution. Oh, okay, like a tidbit. Yeah, like a tidbit. Nice. So that's the only extra information I brought. I stayed away oh, from Pokemon. Okay. I stayed away from Digimon. And we'll see if that keeps us on track. If okay. not, you, you, if you, you're here, enjoy it. Just let it happen. No, no. <laughs> it, it's happening. We're not going to apologize for it like we used to three weeks yeah. ago. We are uh, tangent. Get, on, get over yourselves. You think come you're fight me, better than tangerines? In the words of Mitch. What was that? Doped up. Come fight me. I will oh, fight God. you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm gonna put that on a T-shirt over your face and sell it. Just be like, on blood thinners and also antibiotics. <laughs> Come fight me. I'm drugged up and ready to mix. go. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Okay. okay, before we dive into evolution, as per usual, we've picked out one piece of news from the science news this week, and this one was a bit crazy because we've discussed this before on the podcast and. Years and years and years ago. So if you're a long a long term listener and you've hopped along to the different podcasts that we've been on, we've talked about this before and how absolutely crazy it is that we didn't know there was a massive gap in knowledge surrounding eels. Bloody jellied eels. Yeah. Oh, I, quick question. Yes. Have you ever had jellied eels? No, I can't say that I have. Like, why do they ex- and if you don't know what jellied eels are, I mean that's just the it's just better for you really i feel like they're a very english thing uh maybe essentially it's just eels in jelly I mean, it's, it's like yeah I just, I just don't get why they're a thing but okay i was gonna ask what they're like but carry on no, yeah no element never had them not a big fan of eating eels um this was the last one train of thought about what we were saying about ears. Oh, yeah. So after generations, a long, ter- long time of speculation, this has been literally been going on for over 100 years. We just didn't know what was going on. And scientists, I say to we, I don't know why I'm lumping myself in with scientists, but scientists have finally managed to track specifically, this is for European eels, the entire way back to their breeding grounds in the Sargasso Sea. Am I saying Sargasso right? It sounds more Italian yeah. than... So, yeah. It's in the North Atlantic, isn't it? Yes. Uh, following their <laughs> movements, thousands of kilometres <laughs> along what is considered one of the most impressive animal migrations in nature. See, this, this, is, this is a debating point, because do you think it's, like, one of the most impressive? I have to say it is, right? Because for over 100 years, we've oh, not been able to follow mode. them. Yeah, that's one of the most impressive things about it is the pure stealth mode. And it's in the Sargasso Sea, you know, just off the coast of North America, right? It's kind of a... I knew it was. That side of things. So the fact that the European eels are going there... Yes. I'd say it's pretty impressive considering you're an eel and there's mega currents going on. Yeah, that... There's, there's, there's some more information around why they do what they do so i'll, I'll move on to that in a sec but looking at different articles because that's what we do we, we pull different <laughs> pieces of information to get from different articles and different research papers 
uh, one of the, the articles that stood out that Tom sent me, they wrote, scientists are gushing with excitement because, <laughs> oh, which is just the worst piece of written. And I'm not sure if it's because scientists write it or if they've got like proper oh, writers, no, no, no. like content writers yeah, to write about it. Yeah, I reckon it. so. Because I mean, I don't is think- it a type of pun? Do seals gush? Well, seals, if it's like a sexual hell. innuendo about eels, you know, ejaculating when they mate, then that's not appropriate for it. <laughs> no, it's not. Definitely um, not. But yeah, so they were so excited, the scientists, because this is the first direct They were gushing. Evidence. Yeah, direct evidence, because I think there's been some like tertiary evidence that have been like, we can infer that they're here based on the the absence of this um, of the eels life cycle, and it was proposed by a Danish scientist or biologist uh, in the the first like ideas of this that it happened in the Argos Sea back in the 1920s. By I'll say his name is uh, their name is Joans Schmidt. 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 I feel like that's the very English way to say that that name. Yeah, but I, my, my Danish accent is like <laughs> not good, so I'm not yeah, going to no, try it. Um, oh, wait, fair play to that guy. Yeah. So I don't know if it's. it's I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I don't don't know their their gender. So oh, they fair play to them. Eel larvae in the sea that many years ago. Uh, very far from their freshwater estuarine and coastal habitats in Europe and Africa. Um, so he, they published the, their results. Oh, it is his the results. I say okay. The, well, they're assuming his results in 1923, um, which then foreshadowed the full next century of uh, research discovery. Just pretty wild. I mean, imagine a hundred years. Like if it was now, you'd be like, oh, I found these larvae here. Like, how did they get here? You know, they're a couple of thousand miles at least away from where we expect them to be. So mm. they've obviously been transported somehow. But 100 years ago, you wouldn't yeah. think that. Would you? You'd be like, why are these things here? Yeah. yeah you, would, you, would, you would kind of guess, but you wouldn't know. And they didn't have, obviously, the, the techniques to track them like they did now. So what they... Uh, uh, the, the team that tracked them, what they did this time is they captured, they managed to capture a bunch of eels, they tagged them with detachable satellite trackers, and then swapped them for DNA testing and then released them back into the Atlantic Ocean from the Azores Island back in 2018-2019. And then they finally tracked them this year to uh, the Sogos breeding ground. Six eels uh, made it out of all the ones they tagged. Um, and they only just made it there? Yeah, months later. Months? That's a couple of years, mate. That's four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's um, quite a few months, yeah. Quite a few months, uh, which is the longest recorded straight... W- with with the longest recorded straight line distance of 2,275 kilometres. How do they know that? That's mad. Yeah. Um, so they worked out because of the based on the time and uh, the distance. The eels average about six point eight kilometers a day, 
uh, and they did so by conserving their energy by going really, really, really deep. Okay. Uh, because it was... But the gushing comes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on their way there, it was shown that they went deeper than uh, a thousand meters. So they, they plunged down, they found out, uh, 3,280 feet down into the darkness of the ocean to go across. Pretty wild. Yeah, they don't know how they navigate still. Um, we talked a bit about this, about using the Earth's magnetic field. Uh, they believe that could be how they direct themselves in, down in the darkness, because there's not much else to go on. Um, yeah. That's pretty all mad, smells. isn't it? That they're all just kind of programmed, like that's where they're heading. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's either smells or factory cues or ocean currents or temperature fronts. But, yeah. Well, the, the, one, the, the one bit I did read of that article, I think I, I skipped past that for some reason. <laughs> I skipped past the actual content and ended up at the bottom. And... They were saying, from what they can tell, yeah. eels pretty much invincible. Sorry, what's the one where you don't <laughs> age? Invulnerable? Uh, immortal. Immortal. Yeah. The eels are pretty much immortal until they go and decide to mate. So, like, some of the eels are like six or seven. That's when they reach maturity and then they, <laughs> they go straight there. Mm-hmm. Some of them were like 60 plus years old. And yeah. not much was different between the six-year-olds and the 60-year-olds yeah. in terms of aging, let's say. Check out uh, Aging Podcast if you want to learn more. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy thing. They also, like, sometimes they leave before they are at reproductive maturity. Yeah. So they mature on the way there <laughs> to, to get to the place. Um, yeah. It's quite crazy. Well, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go before I'm ready. By the time I get there, I'll be ready. And then I'll just conk out. Yeah. I've yeah. had enough of these rivers. Yeah. Probably coked out the reds. Well, given the state they're... of the European rivers right now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was going to say, they're not in the Thames. So, you know, they can't be that coked out. Oh, it's a massive problem here. Oh, and is in it? Germany, actually, Germany as well. Yeah. yeah, they think it um, messes with their cognitive... Ability. Well, that, that word didn't come out. Cognitive abilities and processing because uh, of the amount of cocaine in European rivers. Nice. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. They believe they go down so so far as well to reduce mortality risk. That makes sense. It would also reduce metabolism as well, wouldn't it? Why? Why? Because it's colder. Yeah, I guess. Or you're asking why is that necessary? No, I was like, why would their metabolism slow down? Uh, Because it's a lot colder. Does it just get infinitely colder? Like, does the scale go all the way to the bottom? Or is there a place where it taps out? Um, I think, you know, you keep going down, it's like slightly above freezing. Yeah, and does it just stay there? So is it like yeah. at 1,000 feet, it gets to that temperature, then the next 2,000 feet is the same? Yeah, and then it gets hotter again, depending if you're near like 
volcanic vents and things like that. Yeah. Um, let's have a look. Mariana Trench. <laughs> Temp. Temperature. Between 34 to 39 degrees. Fahrenheit. Oh, Celsius. For, you know, civilized people. One to four degrees. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, there, there are like massive thermoclines. Like, uh, once you get to about 0.8 kilometers depth, mm-hmm. uh, you're getting to your lowest kind of thermocline level. Thermocline. There. Thermocline, nice. sorry. Uh, line at which basically there's like a sudden temperature change. Okay. And like... Along that line, you also probably have like a, and this happens a lot in the ocean. You have lines of temperature that, like, if you ever experienced this, maybe snorkeling or scuba diving, um, temperature and salinity will just suddenly change because yeah. the water doesn't mix very well. So I remember doing this scuba diving that you have your arm hanging down and your arm is really cold because there's a thermocline there, but like just suddenly halfway up your arm, it starts, it's like really warm because there's a, Genuine, like a two degree change there. Yeah. So you look around to see if anyone's peed near you. Yeah. Uh, that as well. Know. Yeah. But that that will mix. It will mix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a really weird reference. I hope no one gets that. Um. So, evolution. Twenty minutes in. <laughs> we've, we've done it again. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to mention one more thing. Yeah. 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 Go for it. So, as this is coming out on Friday, yesterday's news, uh, the lettuce survived longer than Liz Truss did in office. The lettuce. Now, I only came across this <laughs> as I was browsing Imager before we started the show. Oh. I, I'd never seen it before. Were you, were you not watching the live stream of the lettuce? Mate, uh, it just doesn't come over here. We just don't get any of that news. Yeah. Well, it wasn't actually on, like, state news for us. This was no, just well, I, I, I was the Daily Star, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, none of that kind of tabloid stuff makes it over here. And I don't yeah. watch TV, so yeah, no, one, no, one's, no one's speaking about the letters over here. Yeah, it was on Reddit. You could have seen the, the letters on Reddit. Oh, I'm, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. So essentially what happened was, for those that don't know, in the, in the political sphere, this trust used to be the Prime Minister for the UK. Uh, towards the end of her tenure as Prime Minister, people thought it was going to be a bit rocky for her. So they set up a live stream with the bet of who will last longer, Liz Trust, the Prime Minister, or this uh, lettuce, which they put on a plate, uh, taking bets on who would last longer. And it turns out, the lettuce. And there was a big celebration, <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> I don't know when it found out. They were like, yeah. And loads of different, like, Aldi and... I think it was Morrison's or the, or the place that the letters was from. They just made a social media campaign out of it, and it was absolutely brilliant. Some of the tweets coming out of it—that's fantastic. Sometimes you, you know, we, we we don't do a lot of things right as the Brits, but things like that—that that, yeah, that's 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 perfect. Yeah, yeah got to so. enjoy that. So I'm yeah, sure. we'll see what happens there. Hopefully we don't get fucking... Joe, I'm not even going to say his name because then maybe he'll come back. 
bumbling oh, twat face. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were like, oh yeah, we actually had a vote of no confidence and got him out, but actually we may get him back just to, you know, to rally the troops. It's like, oh my, just have a general election already. When you've oh, had... But they know they'll lose the catastrophic <laughs> numbers. Like, yeah. record-breaking catastrophic... Hello? Catastrophe? Catastrophe, yes. Catastrophe, that's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, someone that ran the numbers and they said that if there was a general election now and there were some agreements and coalitions that formed between, I think it was like the S&P and the Greens, the Greens and Lib Dems, the Lib Dems and the Greens, uh, essentially what could potentially happen is there would be no Conservative seats in the Houses of Parliament. Oh, yeah. And at that point... Does the the Conservatives stop being a thing? They don't. They've got no power. But, yeah. Yeah. That would be a laugh. That would be funny. I would enjoy that. I would enjoy that. After what they've done to the country. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Watch this space. Watch. So, that's the evolution of the the UK Parliament. history just completely and utterly crashing down due to not enough biodiversity in the people. I feel like a head of lettuce would do better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I brought like a little fact here. Uh, this is a bit of a story on how evolution works. And it's how you don't always end up with the optimal, let's say, characteristic for every situation, but the one that just works best for most situations. Because it's yeah. easier. Right. So let, let's deviate to chemistry for a second. I uh, promise this is relevant. Okay. When you dissolve oxygen in water, right, mm-hmm. what you end up with is a solution of oxygen and water. When you dissolve carbon dioxide in water, you end up with a solution of carbon dioxide, water, and carbonic acid, right? Yeah. Now, it turns out both oxygen and carbon dioxide are really quite hard to detect biochemically. But carbonic acid is relatively easy, especially in comparison, to detect. So, what humans do is we've developed a sense to detect how much carbonic acid is in our blood. Right, Mm -hmm. so it's a lot cheaper to do than just straight up detecting oxygen. So when we're breathing... Uh, this is how we kind of regulate, okay, there's more carbonic acid, so we need to breathe faster to bring in more oxygen, right? That's kind of how the regulation works. Okay, yes, there are some instances where you actually just detect oxygen in the blood, but essentially for most of the time, our body uses carbonic acid as a proxy, okay? More carbonic acid, breathe faster, slash, oh, look, I'm asphyxiating, Let's move to a place where I can get more oxygen, you know. Let's say if you're in a fire <laughs> and you're breathing smoke, your body will be like, uh, this ain't this ain't it, chief. <laughs> um, does, does one breathe smoke or does one inhale smoke? Inhale, right. Well, you're breathing and smoke is coming in and you're not getting the oxygen and your body's like, yeah. oh, there's carbonic acid is spiking. Bro, we're not having a good time. Get out of there, right? I, I was just wondering, is like... The term breathing it going in your mouth or your lungs, lungs taking the oxygen in? Lungs 
Or the act of breathing, but you you take in other things by accident sometimes. Yeah. Um, like water, if you may. And then you like, end up like choking water. Yeah, for like that. a good 20 minutes. Yeah. That actually happens in the podcast, like, a lot. We just cut that out. Yeah. Tom's Tom's called me short before where I've had a mouthful of water. <laughs> I was just like, I guess we're talking with a mouthful of water. <laughs> Um, no, I'm joking. I don't think I've I've actually done that. I've never yeah, purposely no, cut. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you've pulled it off enough that I haven't cut out, cut it, had to cut something out at least. Right. So the the end result then of us with this kind of mechanic is that we don't detect whether or not we are breathing oxygen. We only know if we are breathing out carbon dioxide because we use carbonic acid as a proxy. So the terrifying thing is, and trigger warning, I probably should have hit that up at the start. uh, You can breathe out carbon dioxide without breathing in oxygen. One example, if you were breathing a lot of nitrogen in, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, you would just be breathing out mad amounts of CO2 and your body would be like, yeah, this is this is fine. And then you would just fall asleep. Never to wake up again. Now, luckily, you're very rarely in a situation where you're just breathing in nitrogen. Um, so most of the time, this proxy of carbonic acid detection works well and is why we've evolved with that rather than just to detect oxygen in the blood straight up because it's a lot more, let's say, energy expensive to do that. So I guess it's just a creepy way, we're coming up to Halloween, there we go, uh, to show that evolution generally finds an effective way, but not the perfect way to deal with things. That's my little tidbit. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your tidbit. That's all right. So what is evolution then, Tom? What is evolution? Well, if you want to find that out, you can head on back to our episode last week, where I think we basically covered it's how characteristics change within a population over time, and it happens through mistakes. Yeah. We also covered the different types. You also covered what is a species as well, because that's a hard one. Yeah, we did. And again, we came up with... Don't really know. So let's go with the biological species concept, which is what mm-hmm. most people think of when we think of a species. Um, but yeah, we covered divergent, convergent, and parallel evolution as well. Yes. As well as Pokemon, Digimon, <laughs> <laughs> and our <Yes>. mental health. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what have you got that you'd like to speak about? Um, you know, a bit of like simple life to complex life. Some things of like the greatest evolutionary innovations, like oh. key innovations or adaptations that kind of uh, made either us or other species evolve better than others. Okay, like what are the good ones? What are the good evolutions? What are the like, good what are the Charizards? You know, oh, I feel like that's. I don't want to say wrong. Did something really evolve better than something else if it's yes. still around? 
Yes, yes, yes. I, I would say there is, but and it's to do with level of survivability. Like, are we more evolved than an ant? Yes. But are we? We've been, yeah, we've, like, we're technically... <laughs> we've gone to space, Tom. I would say that we, we are more involved than an ant. Yeah, but they don't need They've stagnated, to mate. They've stag- they, they got to a point and thought, you know what? This anti-life is good enough for me. This is it, Chief. They've, yeah, they've stayed there. This is it, Chief. I've plateaued. I'm staying here. All right. But haven't we all plateaued, really? Like, evolution nah, hasn't just stopped. We've had this conversation before where I say, for us, at a certain point, evolution turned into technology for us. And that's the equivalent. Right, but that's just part. Like, we are always evolving. Yeah. It just seems very slow in our personal kind of lifespan, which yeah, is absolutely because fair we were, enough. We were smart enough not to have to survive by modifying ourselves, but by modifying our environment. And therefore, our evolution is now both our environment and our like our method of communicating a technology. And do you therefore, think that will change in the future? Like, I when think, we look to the future of human uh, evolution, are we going mm, to be like, okay, physically, we're yes. going to be the same, right? As in terms of how we grow. But we're going to expand um, mentally through technology in terms of how much information we can hold or has we have access to. And we'll change ourselves physically, as you say, cyberpunk-wise. Yeah, cyberpunk-esque. But even then, that's just technology. That's not actual like a physical change unless we intervene with technology. So that's why I'm saying evolution but for us is our less... Our brains and bodies could change with like commonplace technology. Let's say a certain type of brain implant or phones become so ingrained in our daily life which they have over the past 20 years, right? Yeah. But that continues for the next thousand years, right? Will, will that influence our characteristics? Yeah, probably. It will do. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Because we stagnated, because we right. became the essentially the kings the of ant. our realms. The survi- our, our survivability capped out, really. Okay. Because we got, we got so good at it from being so incredibly smart um, yeah. so that we didn't need to evolve anymore like our survivability no longer needed to change because we got to a certain point okay so now we've transitioned from survivability being our evolution to our use of tools being our evolution okay and that tools just so happens to be technology uh, okay I get it follow up question because even if it was just sorry to before you your, your yeah, 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 yeah. answering your your, pre, your previous thing, even if it was our mannerisms or the way that we we are, that's not directly going to be linked to survivability, which evolution normally is linked to. Right. So we're not going to evolve for the sake of surviving. No, that's true. But I don't know because then it's, it's to do with we we would last longer we had like tech implants where we could upload ourselves to the clouds true waiting for that then, San Junipero <laughs> yeah but then for all characteristics because like we'd all be born as like we are now just we would then modify ourselves later in life right but all characteristics um, would no. be passed on so Disagree. like just as it is now you know I have asthma I probably wouldn't be alive without medicine right yeah but I'm yeah, saying if I had children those characteristics will be put back into the population 
No, because we'll get to the point where this is the moral, the moral efficacy dilemma is IVF, you would have asthma. Oh, so we would like ge- ge- genetically edit. Yeah, what is that movie that I always mention that you haven't Using seen? Using CRISPR. Yeah, where they go to the moon. Or they're going, it's like a space mission. And there's like twins, and one of them's doesn't want to go to the moon, and one of them isn't like a IVF born, and they switch places. Oh, yeah. I don't know. He has, to, he has to go through all the trials of a Sounds perfectly born. A perfectly born. It's, I think it's Jude Law. Not that oh. old. It's a young, a, a younger Jude Law. Yeah. Ah, uh, it's like the, oh, the name of then. the ship. I can't remember what it is, but essentially, it's the people that are have been modified through yeah. CRISPR and IVF they are the better people in society and obviously the poorer people who are just you know natural borns are seen as lower and they get given like the janitor jobs the cooks the cleans the bin men because they're thought to not be as smart so what's the point right it's an interesting interesting movie that came out probably way yeah. ahead of its time that sounds pretty decent yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't think of it. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Um, yeah. So, follow-up so, question. These these great evolutionary innovations. Yeah, your, your, your follow-up question. So, we spoke about this a little bit when we spoke about speciation. Uh, when a species either becomes reproductively isolated or is exploiting a new niche, for example... Uh, there's fungi in a forest and this rat decides, oh, I'm go- this population decides I'm going to exploit the fungi because no one else is, then they can like explode in terms of speciation events because they've suddenly got a new resource to do that with. You know what? This is one of my uh, great innovations. Oh, okay. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, what if <laughs> when humans, let's say if this happens, colonize new planets, right? We become reproductively isolated we yeah. have new character we have new selection pressures more gravity less gravity different wavelengths of sunlight uh temperature these kinds of things uh just the amount of light that's around all of these things without technology would pretty rapidly cause evolutionary changes within an isolated population which you would be if you're on a new planet do you think even with technology, we may see an explosion of human speciation when we branch out into the stars. You'd have Martian so, population. You'd have, mm, I don't know, uh, Alpha Centauri so population, that kind yeah, of thing. It's an interesting debate about... I, I, I would say the idea of the reproductive isolation comes to how we expand to the stars and how, if we are going to geoform... The terraform. Ma- yeah, well, yeah, because geoform is, is the yeah, uh, f- uh, oh, ter- right. terraform. Sorry. Like, so if we are going to modify it to be more like Earth, then I would say no. But the issue being is the reproductive isolation is is like, are we going and then going to try and live on Mars? How are we? How are we? Are we just going to have pods that we're just going to? Is the gravity not? We're not going to try and change that the heat the temperature that's not going to be changed because we're going to control that via technology so that isolation isn't that isolated because we're going to be bringing a lot 
with us. That's true. I guess it depends on how much movement there is between, let's say, the Earth and Martian colony, right? Yeah, and how different um, it, it like splinters off. Which it, yeah. It wouldn't be, it, to start off with, it wouldn't be much. And I think no, if, I don't if, think if that so. was if that's where the evolution and the isolation was going to come from, it would be a start. So I don't think that would be the case. Well, but yeah, if we got to like a new star system or something like that, where it's a lot harder, you know, you'd get your founder population, and then maybe every hundred years you get some people turn up. Maybe a few thousand years down the line, you would start to see characteristic differences. Yeah, but would they be new species? Well, it depends what your definition depends how you define so it. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned actually a few of the the greatest evolutionary innovations there. So oh, first I, one I'm was so sorry. That's right. So there's an overlap. Um, novel niche invasion, which is yeah. a key innovation that may allow a species to invade a new region or niche and thus be freed from competition. Allowing a subsequent species, speciation, and radiation. And obviously, if you have no competition, you're going to have a booming population. Yeah. Um, example of this is the fourth cusp of mammalian molars, a uh, hypercone, which allowed early mammalian ancestors to effectively digest their generalized diet. The, the precursor to this was the triocodent teeth of reptiles which were adapted for gripping and slicing rather than chewing. So that allowed us to have no competition on certain foods. And therefore, there was a big boom. Yeah. And then another one of these novel niche invasions was not surviving solely on meat, which led to a more generalized diet, which led to a greater survivability because you're not just relying on hunting. You can hunt and forage. Yeah. More options to gain... If energy. no one is, you know, eating those plants in your sphere of competitiveness and survivability, you're going to survive better than them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another one of the key innovations was um, increasing individual fitness and the ability to increase your fitness, which I thought was quite interesting. Okay. Which, as human beings, we kind of we don't do as much anymore. Uh, we do yeah. in a societal sense. Um, but it's very, I don't want to say made up, but made up. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is what it means to be successful. And that changes from person to person. But if someone views themselves maybe rich or famous or something like that, you could argue they've increased their fitness as a human. They've become more desirable. I was wondering where you were going. Yeah. yeah. Their reproductive fitness, not maybe their actual fitness. In terms of how we use the word, I don't know how you can increase your fitness quite quickly. Just stop eating. Not being a Tory. Way! Let's Whey. keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Don't know we moved away from the overseeing company. We was like, oh, we have to be politically neutral because, you know, affiliations. And now it's just like. <laughs> I don't think we were ever particularly politically neutral. Uh, uh, I think even we on were, that show, we were more politically leaning towards a, a people that didn't destroy the earth. Yeah, I think that's a good political <laughs> lean to have. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, and I think now you can just be a bit more open with it. It's like fuck them. Yeah, 
with a pole. Like, you know, political spectrums and ends have got more condensed right at the edges. So we don't have to be the tolerant left anymore because the right are just, you know, messing everything up. So, you know, indignation left. Fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> uh, and as you said, the last one, which is reproductive isolation. So a key innovation may result in reproductive isolation, whereby those individuals with the innovation no longer breed with those without. This can lead to rapid speciation as the two populations separate and accumulate the mutations. Accumulate says they're like they're trying to like get as many as they can and hoard them. Got to like, catch them all. Yeah. Got to catch them all. Mutations? Right, right, right. Don't know. Don't see us, Pokemon. What? Don't sue us. Pokemon. That's the gotta catch them all. Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest, uh, I say the biggest company. It's not probably the biggest company, but it's the biggest revenue drawing company. Brand. What is? That's not a company. Brand. Pokemon, if you Pokemon, didn't know. Pokemon, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it in is. In the world. In the world, yeah, because it's, it's so popular in, in a way. every in most countries. Plus, yeah, and also they've done a bloody banging job in one continuing it, and two how like being multi-platformable. Yes, you've cards, got the games, card game. anime, movies, you've got the anime, plushies, the movies, stores. Yeah, toys. Like even people who aren't really into Pokemon, like me. Like if I saw. A bang up Bulbasaur figure. I was like, Do you know what? Maybe I'd spend twenty quid on that. <laughs> Not that I have that much to spare on a Bulbasaur figure. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But like, yeah, it's just that's just like top tier pop culture, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone and likes I think, Pokemon. And I think a part of it is there were games that were released in every generation so every generation can get nostalgic about some yes. point in the the timeline of pokemon like for me it was probably ruby was the first time that i really got into it like my cousin okay and my, my sister she had pokemon yellow for the game boy yes color that's what i that's what my brother had on the game boy color um and, and he we, shagged it <laughs> well, the, he shagged that game yeah it wasn't... I didn't really properly get into those kind of games until oh, about six months ago. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. Well, I... Because I, I was on the train a lot. I was on the train twice a week. Yeah. So about six hours, eight to eight hours a week. Mm-hmm. And I just rinsed Pokemon. Which one? Oh, I've got to find it out. Was it Pokemon Silver? Pokemon Silver, you went back quite far. Yeah, because I was like, oh, I'll play the ball from the beginning all the way up to the um, current ones. Yeah, Gold um, and Silver. And what was it? Sapphire was the like the mega one out of those two, wasn't it? Because uh, like you, you had red, blue, yellow. So red and blue were like two separate but similar games. No, and yeah, then yellow like combined the two. No, yeah, it came out first. Did it? Yep. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, anyway, I played Silver. And then I was like, I'll go play it. But it was second generation, but I didn't really know any of the Pokemon, so the nostalgia was kind of lost on me. It was Crystal, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was it. Silver, Gold, Crystal. Then it was um, Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald. Okay. I'm trying to remember what the, girl, what the games are. <laughs> 
Because there, there, there was there was there was yellow, blue, red. No, sorry, so the Pokemon yeah, series right. began with so, red and green. So red and green in Japan, was yeah, was the Japan but it was red one, and blue green one for was, us. Yeah, and then, and then yellow, yellow was like so. They've always come out in this kind of like you got two base games which are practically identical, but your starting Pokemon are different or you got different yeah. options. And then they release a third one slightly later, which combines the best of the both the other two games and then a bit more. Yeah, plus special Pokemon. So yellow was like. The same as blue and red, but you started with Pokemon, and it was a bit longer. Uh, also, your Pikachu phology. Yes, thing on it. that was it. And then you uh, had silver and gold come out. Yeah. And then a little bit later on, your Pokemon Crystal. So what was interesting about, uh, I believe it was gold and silver, is you had Lavender Town, which yes. had the funeral parlor slash graveyard building. It's the first time, I think it's like... It's not mentioned further on in the games much, but when like yeah, when po- Pokemon die, <laughs> like <laughs> this is no longer child friendly. Yeah. Pokemon die. Um, yeah. Um, and I was a bit like, oh, okay, it has the day and night cycle. You can like mate mate your Pokemon, but yep. there's always two Pokemon on screen. It's not one v one. You know, it's always like. Well, not always, but there's like the 2v2 option as well. I was like, oh, they're at, they're throwing a lot at me here. I don't remember. But Are you sure you didn't play like Heart Gold and Soul Silver? Uh, yeah, because I was using a emulator because for the Game, Soul... a Game Boy Color emulator. Okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, Mate, if you're gonna go back and play Pokemon, you got play you got play Emerald. Emerald's the best. It's got Rayquaza in it, which I know that was in Ruby and Sapphire. But Emeralds combined both of the best. Okay, well, maybe I'll... What's that for? Game Boy Advanced? Uh, yes. Yeah. The problem is with Game Boy Advanced emulators Mm -hmm. on a phone is that if you need to use the trigger buttons, it's very awkward to use on a phone. Yeah. Because, like, all of the buttons come up on the screen and then the trigger buttons Have you got an an Android? Yeah, mate. Let's get a Bluetooth controller. Well, my Xbox One. Yeah, is your, is your Xbox Bluetooth? I don't think it is. Oh no, because it's a first PlayStation. One of the is, first generation. But ones. yeah, you can just buy a cheap Bluetooth controller and use that. Yeah, but I don't play on my phone enough. Like I don't play games on my phone enough you to warrant buying. Plug that. it in to the the phone. You plug in your Xbox controller, to the phone, fire a cable. Yeah, but then I'd need a, a lightning cable to USB C cable. Yeah, are those? I feel like those are rare to come by. No. But I guess not if I'm just looking for that online. <laughs> then it'll be like, here you are. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Back to Evo. Have you got any more? Uh... Uh, no, that was it for the greatest evolution innovations. There were three that I picked. Nice. Well, well, I wanted next... Oh, oh yeah. You, no, you go ahead. You go ahead before we, I start ranting about one specific um, species. I quickly wanted to go over some evolutionary processes. So, like how evolution might act, or how the alleles in a population might change, causing mm. evolution to occur. Mm. And the the one that we most think of is obviously evolution through natural selection, and 
you know, this is kind of, we think of them as one and the same, but it's not the only way that evolution processes, though I will start there. So obviously evolution by natural selection is the process by which traits that enhance survival and reproduction become more common because if you're able to reproduce and you're able to survive, that's obviously better. It does, however, mean that three things need to be true for this to occur. And that's variation exists within a population um, with respect to morphology, physiology, and behavior. Different traits confer different rates of survival and that those traits that enhance survival can be passed on because not all, not all traits are passed on through uh, mating. And obviously more offspring are produced than can possibly survive. That's like a massive thing that a lot of animals do, you know, they mate like rabbits is a term in English and rabbits mm -hmm. mate and produce a lot of offspring because not all of them are expected to survive. It's a fairly low survival rate, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then you come on to R slash K selection as well and that's a whole different thing. Um, but that's just mating strategies. The next one is genetic hitchhiking. Have you heard of this? No, I have not. So this is linked to natural selection in a roundabout kind of way. Basically, you have these things called recombinant alleles, which are alleles. So alleles are specific locations on chromosomes for genes, like gene pairs, right? So I have alleles for brown hair, right? That's essentially what an allele is. It's not, and that's going to make biologists angry, but in terms of making this digestible for the average listener, <laughs> that's all you need to know, really. Now, some recombination allows alleles on the same strand of DNA to become separated. As a result, genes that are close together on a chromosome may not always be shuffled away from each other when the DNA is replicating, right? And this means that oftentimes some genes are always inherited together. So this might mean that if, and these are called haplotypes, haplotypes, genes that are inherited together, okay? Mm -hmm. That's a haplotype. Now, if one allele gene is specifically beneficial, let's say uh, I'm a kangaroo and this gene makes me hop further than any other kangaroo in the population, which means I'm always going to get away. But it also means that I have pink fur, right? This is a hypothetical. Now we've entered the hypothetical. Mm -hmm. That means that just by chance, over a few generations, all kangaroos would become pink. Not because being pink is beneficial, but just because being pink is always inherited when you can jump further. Now, obviously, we don't have pink kangaroos, but other things like that do occur. Uh, I can think of a bad one specifically, which is like asthma and eczema. People who have bad asthma tend to have bad eczema as well not because they are particularly like oh yeah one causes the other it's just those things are normally inherited together 
So that's genetic hitchhiking. One gene will just follow the other one, whether it's okay. good or not. Hmm. Um, sexual selection, very interesting. Could be a whole episode on itself. And very quickly, it comes down to when one biological sex chooses the mate, sometimes they'll choose a preference which the some characteristics may they use as a proxy for how well that individual is surviving. Take the peacock tail, for example, on the male. That confers no evolutionary advantage. And in fact, it's a disadvantage, right? To be able to fly away or to be seen, you know, your predator is going to see you and have a much better chance of getting you if you've got that massive tail, which the females don't have. But actually, the females have probably looked at those males with the bigger tails and gone, ah, he survived, firstly. His tail looks bloody brilliant, which means he's probably good at finding food. He's good at hiding. He's good at surviving. He's got the extra energy reserves to put into having a great tail. If not, he'd probably have not so colorful tail and it wouldn't look that good. So they kind of use it as a proxy to gauge how well that male is doing. And then over successive generations, that tail has just got bigger and bigger and more elaborate and more elaborate because females use that as kind of a gauge how well is the males doing that sexual mm. selection um, and then you've got things like genetic drift and gene flow which is again very interesting again its own <laughs> it could definitely could be its own uh, episode but gene flow is essentially genes are exchanged between populations and sometimes even between species so Gene flow fundamentally changes the course of evolutions due to complexity. Like two completely different isolated populations will eventually evolve genetic incompatibilities, as we've spoken about before. Mm. However, if this genetic differentiation between populations develop, if there's gene flow across the species or one comes over and let's say a hybrid is for like they have a hybrid baby but it turns out to be fertile then they may introduce new genes into the population or new mutations that come over from a different population that they didn't have access to before and then new traits are introduced and then that kind of runs away and that could filter out through the entire rest of the population it could be in a subset of the population or it could lead to an entirely new species uh yeah but again, that depends on how you define a species and mm -hmm. all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so basically what I wanted to highlight very quickly is that it's not just natural selection that uh, enforces evolution. That's the big one. And that's what we all think of. And that's what a lot of things are based around. But it's not the only thing that chooses how evolution acts. It's not the only process through which evolution works. So that was a lot to cover in seven minutes. Yeah. So if you're still mind. hanging on there, thumbs up to you. Well done. Um, and I hope that made sense. <laughs> and I'm sure I'll listen back to this and go, well, that could have been said better. Mm. Um, but hey, there we go. This is what happens when you speak about Pokemon <laughs> for 20 minutes. I was in 20 minutes. 
Oh, <laughs> over the two shows. <laughs> maybe actually, no, maybe it was actually. 20 <laughs> you know what? Do you know what this has stopped me from doing? Do you know what What's my that? my my backup talking point for these episodes have been? Tardigrades. Oh. So you've essentially stymied me from talking about tardigrades. So we're going to have to find some other episodes and thumb thumb tardigrades in there. Just thumb them in. Mate, I've got so much I still haven't spoken about in terms of evolution. I've got another two pages of notes. Yeah. It, Talk for the, about for the speciation. Sake of... <laughs> no. <you know. laughs> for the sake of uh, our listeners and having some sort of, you know, variation in our own oh yeah thing. no 100 percent. we should I not come think. back to this no not for, for a while for a, for a little bit for a little we'll, 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 we'll let it let it settle yeah it does settle. We'll maybe we'll evolution have... break yeah come back in a in, in, in a bit and see see what's changed because normally mm. right when we talk about things like not knowing where the eels migrate to and how that works you know a few weeks later mm. we find out Oh, that's true. So we've mentioned it now. Yeah, exactly. We spoke about evolution. Mm-hmm. Give it time to broil. Um, and we'll continue our conspiracy theory that this podcast makes the world turn. Yeah, indeed. Or not the world turn, but science discoveries. Yeah. Well, just a, just a small little tidbit about tardigrades. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got to sneak something in there. We've got a couple of minutes left. They can survive the vacuum of open space and the solar radiation from open space uh, for at least 10 days. So if you didn't know... Absolute madness. Yep. Some species of tardigrade can also withstand pressures of 6,000 atmospheres, which is nearly six times the pressure of water in the deepest ocean trench, the Marina Trench, or Mariana Trench. It's not the Marina Trench. That was a stupid name to call it. It's a marina. It wasn't, it's a, mate. You were you were Mariana. one syllable off. You're one oh, it's, vowel you know sound off. It's because I got so so incensed by tardigrades. I was just like, you know, I've got to talk beat about yourself them. Up, and I, and I focused it. so much on it. Do you know they they can survive a few minutes at 151 degrees centigrade? That's 304 degree Fahrenheit for those uh, that use that. Quick question. Yeah. Can every species do every one of these things? No. Or like different species? Yes. So like, yes, yes, Because yes. like if we wanted to just, and I don't know why this came into my head, but if we had like a tardigrade cannon, right? Yeah. And we just pinged some tardigrades at Mars or the different planets in the solar you know system where they could think? survive. I'm like, could they survive the trip there? You and then the gravity when gonna, they're there? We're going to go to Mars. We're going to get some of the water from the underground lakes. And then we're just going to find tardigrades and be like, how how did these geezers get here before we did? And then we're going to be like, okay, were they here? Like, are they just like a normal spacefaring civilization? Right. Ooh, so we'll, they'll be anywhere maybe. we go. And they yeah. just happen to be here as well. Yeah. It's not the Who episode they... with the space tardigrade, if you didn't know. Oh, I think I remember that one. Yeah, it comes and destroys the ship. Oh, nice. Uh, did we put them there? Did they, you know, somehow get on one of the satellites we've sent up? You know? And this is a massive, like, ethical concern in terms of space faring, is are we going to accidentally introduce... Oh, yeah. ...an invasive Earth species yeah. onto a, a foreign planet? Like... Um, who, did, who did we talk to when they were like one thing they didn't realize about taking the 
from the UK to America, they took rubble in the was it to do it was it after the war they took some rubble from the uk to america to put the foundations for one of the bridges in manhattan and obviously they had to um not jettison the water but make it to make it float higher yeah so they take on ballast water they they, they took the on ballast water in the uk or around where it came from and then dumped that water out in america and obviously yeah. there's a cross pollination there pollination is the wrong word but invasive species yeah, yeah i mean and that still happens species. that still happens a yeah, lot nowadays so uh, what they've done is they've tried to put a lot of regulation into that kind of thing oh, so a lot yeah, of I remember talking the worst. a lot like of times now ships UV. have uv yes. inside the ballast mm. tanks yeah to like purify it. the water as yes, they're, yes, they're yes. going across um but it, so instead it's of moving it we're just gonna kill still. them <laughs> yeah it is a massive issue it's still to this day ballast water and there's mm. very, very, very tight regulations on where you can take ballast water because they just used to do it willy-nilly everywhere and everywhere. Yeah. And where you can dump it. Can you do it in a port? Because mm-hmm. it's very often you'll go to a port and you'll see invasive mussel species or uh, kelp or algae that's been taken on ballast water. But because it's kind of sheltered in the port, uh, it, kind of, it kind of kept there. It doesn't always make it out. Okay, into I see the uh, surrounding area. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the third option is, did tardigrades evolve separately on Mars because it's just a really super beneficial body plan to have anywhere yeah. in the universe? Yeah. Do you know they can uh, also survive in a dry state for nearly 10 years? Yeah, that blew my mind. Yeah. I remember you, you saying that for the first time. Yeah, that's did... crazy. It's pretty wild for such a tiny thing, right? And like lifespans generally increase with body size because metabolism is slower. So the fact that it's what? How many cells are in a tardigrade, do you reckon? (laughs) I don't know. Depends which one it is because some of them can get quite big. Yeah. Oh. Bloody so what meta it does, quest so what it sending does. me notifications right now to get among us in VR. Um, when it goes into like survival mode, it expels all the water because their body composition is 85 water. It goes down to 3%. So then when it like freezes upon freezing, um, because there's so little water, it doesn't rupture the, the tissue like the body tissue of the tardigrade right. from the expansion of freezing ice. Yeah. Obviously, when water expands, it freezes. So what they do is they expel enough of it so when it does expand, it puts them back to a normal size. Okay, yeah. yeah. So tardigrades have somewhere over a thousand cells. As you said, it's quite a general yeah. thing. And that, mm-hmm. weirdly, is quite similar to what seaweeds do. You trying to insult my tardigrades and call them seaweeds, mate? Absolutely not. I'm saying it's yeah. a very effective strategy. That, like, if you're in the UK or you know, less near the equator or in a sheltered place where you we have tides, right, and high tides, uh, varying tides, we have the intertidal zone where seaweeds and what are those little tentacly things called? Octopus. 
No, the sessile ones. I don't want an- 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 anemones. An- anemones. Oh yeah, sea anemones. Sea anemones. Those ones. Um, like they can survive at ridiculously low water content percentages, like somewhere as low as like six percent for some seaweeds. Mm. Because one, what you say, they may freeze during like the winter and things like that at night time. And then during the summer, they're just completely dried out. So they need to have a way to be able to survive at such desiccation rates, they called it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some plants in the desert do that as well. There's another plant. It's essentially tardigrade as a plant, right? Ten years it can go without water. Yeah. Because it goes to like 3% moisture content. And just rolls around like a piece of tumbleweed. Yeah. Absolute madness. Mm-hmm. Evolution be crazy, y'all. Evolution be crazy, yeah. Like, if they weren't ready for space travel, they've got the evolutionary, like, bit down for it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Can you poison them? No. You also can't poison them. Oh, is there, like, a surface area to volume ratio too low to be poisoned or something? No, they go through... uh, They undergo chemobiosis. Chemobiosis? Biosis. Right. Uh, this is a cryptobiotic response to high levels of environmental toxins. That's pretty mad. Yeah, so you can't even poison them. Perfect assassins. That's what I'm trying to say. Ah, <laughs> oh, if you put poison inside the tardigrades, t- yeah. tardigrades, wow, and then fired them in the tardigrade cannon at, at Mars still? Uh, well, you could have like a portable one. And you could fire it at, like, in someone's teacup. Hmm. Forget the assassin's teapot. Very cool piece of technology, by the way. So, if you don't know what cryptobiosis is, I just Googled it, because I was like, actually, I don't know what it is. Uh, Then when they go into a cryptobiotic state, all measurable metabolic processes stop, preventing reproduction, development, and repair. When the environment conditions return to being normal or hospitable, then the organisms will return to its normal metabolic state. Yeah, it's kind of like cryogenic freezing humans. Yourself. But they can just do that. Yeah. When it's like, oh, wait, this really sucks. I'm just going to nope out for a bit. (laughs) Ah, cyanide. Let me just... Right, cyanide's gone, I'm back. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. It's like, oh, wait, the, the Earth's heating up. Let's just not do... I'm, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> and then they just wake up when things are okay again. Yeah. Within a 10-year span, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Pretty wild. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, we're over the hour, mate. So, do you want to wrap things we up? We are. Yeah, I was yeah. about to say, let's wrap it up there. And next week, we'll come back with... Honestly, who knows what? Who knows? So, yeah. I don't. Do Don't forget to share this with your friends, families, co-workers, scientists. Obviously, we're picking up an uh, avid Pokemon fan base at this point. <laughs> so if people like Pokemon and we're going to trigger them with our incorrect Pokemon speech, send yeah. it to them as well. If you want more information, fun and science, you can head on over to Twitter at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, Spotify, iTunes, whatever directory you have found us on. If you can give us a like, a rating, a follow, whatever it lets you do, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. 
I've been Tom Jenks, I've been joined by Mitchell Gatting, and do you have anything else to say, mate? Many things. Well, I'll save them for next time. All right, we'll save them for next time, whatever the delightness uh, brings you. And I hope we've managed to kind of decrease some of the information or entropy of that information in your lives. And one day I will get that right without having to repeat myself. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Uh, You'd think 24 episodes in, I'd get that by now. But no. 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 All right, we'll catch you guys on the flip side. Peace. Ciao for now.